0: Hey, this is Big Rev. Thanks for tuning in to Masterclass Theology, a weekly podcast where we study books of the Bible a verse at a time and apply it to our lives. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Let's rock. God, we thank you for tonight. We thank you for this opportunity to study your word. And we just pray, Lord, that we'd be challenged and encouraged as we look at this very integral chapter in, in, in Israel's history in the lifetime of the judges. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So Judges begins with a double introduction. Last week was, think of it like an introduction from the perspective of Israel. This week, this week's really cool. Think of it like an introduction from the perspective of God. This is a very unique chapter. And I wanted to open this week with uh, well it's two different generations and you're going to see right away the text doesn't doesn't waste any time the text just gets right into it but i wanted to open with uh, this this back and forth in joshua 24 this is one of the big back and forths in the bible especially in the old testament but here we go and the pink is joshua and the what is that green that's that's the israelites now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your ancestors worshipped beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your ancestors serves beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my house, household, we will serve the Lord and we will serve Yahweh. This was a plaque. In my house growing up, it's a plaque in my house right now. As for me and my house, we will serve. Okay, great, great, great verse. Then all the people answered, far be it from us to forsake the Lord, to serve other gods. All right, well, I guess a good answer. It was the Lord our God himself who brought us and our parents up out of Egypt from that land of slavery and performed those great signs before our eyes. He protected us on our entire journey among all the nations through which we traveled. And the Lord drove out before us all the nations, including the Amorites, who lived in the land. We too will serve the Lord because he is our God. Okay, nice. So Joshua said to the people, you are not able to serve the Lord. He is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your rebellion and your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, he will turn and bring disaster on you and make an end of you. Man, Joshua is bringing fire here after he has been good to you. But the people said to Joshua, no, we will serve the Lord. So we will serve Yahweh. The Hebrew word Yahweh, our God. Then Joshua said, you are witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen to serve the Lord. Yes, we are witnesses, they replied. Now then, said Joshua, throw away the foreign gods that are among you and yield your hearts to the Lord, the God of Israel. And the people said to Joshua, we will serve the Lord our God and obey him. On that day, Joshua made a covenant for the people. And there at Shechem, he reaffirmed for them decrees and laws. And Joshua recorded these things in the book of the law of God. Then he took up a large stone and set it up there under the yoke near the holy place of the Lord. See, he said to all the people, this stone will be a witness against us. It has heard all the words the Lord has said to us. It will be a witness against you if you are untrue to the Lord your God. Now, why in the world did I read that to you? That is the context of our opening here. Let me make sure I can scroll down to get past this scripture here so we can see what's going on here. Two two different generations. Judges 2, we're going to be in verse 6 to 3 verse 6. Okay, here we go. This is 6 to 10, two different generations. After Joshua had dismissed the Israelites, they went to take possession of the land, each to their own inheritance. The people served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and of the elders who outlived him and who had seen all the great things the Lord had done for Israel. Now, this is a cheesy Joshua joke. It's, like, it's one of those old, old, old jokes. Who, who, what biblical hero has no father? Well, it's Joshua, son of Nun. Ah, 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not a good joke, but it's, it's a joke that exists out there. Joshua, son of Nun, the servants of the Lord, or actually it'd be Nun in Hebrew. All right, we got to get uh, someone back in here, right? I'm i able to look at the waiting room, and if I, if I see you come out, I can probably get you back in. But if I miss you, there's only so much I can do. Joshua, son of Nun, the, the servants of the Lord, died at the age of 110. And they buried him in the land of his inheritance, in Timnot-Heres, in the hill country of Ephraim, north of Mount Gosh. After, and here's verse 10. After that whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors, another generation grew up who who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. Two generations here. And we just got done reading in Joshua 24, asking that first generation, are you going to be true? Are you going to be faithful to God? Oh, yes. Oh, yes, we will do it. We will do it. They talked some mighty words, and they reaffirmed that. See, Joshua is the only proper name for a person in our text today. It's just like the the, the narrator of this text wants us to know that he's the ideal guy. Everybody be like Joshua. Joshua is the real dude. He's a real McCoy. He's it. He's the guy. He is the ideal leader. What's a good leader? So you're looking at your life and you say, well, maybe I'm not a leader, but you might be a parent. You might have an influence in your, you might have someone you're influencing in your life. Are you encouraging others in their walk with Christ? What influence do you have? You see, Joshua had influence over that first generation. And the text says that while Joshua was still living, they behaved. In fact, even the elders that outlived Joshua after he died of that first generation, they behaved. But then another generation arose. And they were so far gone, they didn't know God, and they had no idea the kinds of things God has done. Now, why do you bring that up, Joel? Well, we just got done reading in Joshua 24, saying, hey, we know what God has done. He's the only one that can do these things. We've seen what he has done. That first generation wasn't going to forget that. I mean, that first generation leaving Egypt, of all places, and how God miraculously made that happen. But now there's this new generation. You just got done saying, as for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. Well, how about that? How about that house of yours? Number two there, as for you and your house. Did you handle your business, first generation? Oh, I've got such a good relationship with God. But who are you raising? Who are you influencing? Are you encouraging this next person to know Jesus, to follow God? Just saying. As for you and your house, first generation, I'm doing my very best not to be judgmental here, but the text is inviting us to at least think about it. And I go, well, wait a minute. You just got done speaking all these words and you were personally faithful to it. But, but then this whole new generation, it just, they don't even know God at all. Nothing. I mean, what's that old Billy Graham quote. We're always one generation away from apostasy. It's like, it's like if you, if you don't pass things on to the next generation, they're not going to pass things on and then it's going to be lost. I mean, my goodness. They neither knew God nor his deeds at all. That's two generations there. That's terrifying. There's a tension there. And that's the first blue thing. There's a faithfulness tension. You see, we want, to, we want to go, well, boy, they were faithful. Good job. But then we want to go, oh, my goodness. But they didn't pass on the faith. Wow. Maybe they weren't as faithful as we thought they were. I don't know. We're in no place to sit here and just judge on them and just say, okay, you did this wrong, you did this wrong. Because the text does it for us. The text lets us know all it needs us to know. But I need you as you look at these verses, throw yourself into that theological slow cooker and marinate a bit with that tension. There's two key parenting truths here. The first one is, obviously, as parents, or as, let's just say, if if you're not a parent, fine. As a member of our current generation, you have a responsibility as a follower of Jesus Christ to pass on the faith, to live as a disciple of Christ, and to make other disciples. And as parents especially, we have that responsibility. But there's a second truth here. Because as parents reading this, we begin to want to pull our own hair out and go, oh, geez. What if my kid walks away from the faith? You know, we have an entire support group at the bridge called PPAC, Parents Praying for Adult Children. And the whole context of that, of that PPAC is like basically praying for your prodigal child. Maybe they grew up in the church. Maybe they once made a profession of faith, and now they're doing whatever they want to do. And it's breaking your heart as a mom and a dad. And yeah, I mean, it's it's like one of the things you feel when you're in that position is, oh man, I must be horrible because my kids aren't faithful. But the second key truth here, Mick is gonna highlight it here, two things going on. Did they teach the next generation? That's the big thing. Did they teach? And that's really where the tension is. Did they teach? Because if they were faithful, as the text says they were, it's like a non sequitur all of a sudden that their kids don't know what's going on. It's like, you really, were you faithful? Because it's just side by side in the scripture. The second of all, Nick's text, spirituality is not hereditary. It's a personal matter. And, you know, it's the suggestion, Mick says, that they did not teach. We're left to think that. It's possible this next generation was just one of those, like a kind of social media type generation, all focused on themselves. But the second big parenting truth is the text does not judge, does not condemn the first generation because the second generation was a bunch of theological bozos. You see, that was a tension in the book of John when that guy shows up who was born blind and they're like, well, who sinned? Did this guy sin or did mom and dad sin? Because this ain't supposed to happen. And Jesus totally rocked their world. No, 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 this is not what this is about. You see, those of us who are parents and we see our kids going astray, we should feel convicted. We should wonder about the things, how we did teach. We should convict us to want to be good influencers when it comes to God, and when it comes to following Jesus. But the text never condemns that first generation. It does not say this, well, your children sinned against God, so now that sin goes back up to you. you got to pay their price. And so many parents are right there. Like, oh, man, I raised a kid who decided to do his own thing. Now I'm the one that's going to be condemned. No, everybody's going to rise and fall on their own sin. This has nothing to do with your kids sinning or the mom and dad sinning. It's like you, it's all, it's a very, that's not what life's about. God's going to hold each person accountable. But there's a tension there. And as a parent, it terrifies me. As I look at my own kids and I wonder about the example that I'm setting. And I want to say to myself, oh, boy, I'm like that first generation. But, boy, I don't want to be like that first generation. See that tension? I want to be faithful, but I don't want to have faithfulness if it means i got to do the second thing they didn't do. Yeah, Mick texted in, they they knoweth not the Lord, also suggests they chose not to have a relationship with God. Yeah, they didn't want to know him. They just didn't want it either. But that, that's the other thing is we don't know if, if they were just ignorant or they were rebellious. The text doesn't quite say they just don't know it. And they, they also didn't know his deeds. They were ignorant of his deeds. And that's where we want to condemn that first generation. Like, okay, you can't control what your kids decide, but by golly, they're going to know their Sunday school stories or what, what have you. They're going to go to Awana. They're going to go to this. They're going to go to that. And they're going to at least hear the word of the Lord. Whether or not they, they respond, that's their business one day. And a lot of parents die on that hill. But let that sit with you for a second as, as a parent or as an influencer. Someone who is, you have people in your life that you're influencing. The vicious cycle, the most vicious cycle. 11 or 19. Then the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and they served the Baals. Oh, seriously? They forsook the Lord, the God of their ancestors who brought them out of Egypt. They followed and worshiped various gods of the peoples around them. They aroused the Lord's anger because they forsook him and served Baals and the Ashtoreths. In his anger against Israel, the Lord gave them into the hands of raiders who plundered them. He sold them into the hands of all their enemies all around, whom they were no longer able to resist. Whenever Israel went out to fight, The hand of the Lord was against them to defeat them, just as he had sworn to them. They were in great distress. Then the Lord raised up judges who saved them out of the hands of the raiders. Yet they would not listen to their judges, but prostituted themselves to other gods and worshipped them. They quickly turned from the ways of their ancestors who had been obedient to the Lord's commands. Whenever the Lord raised up a judge for them, he was with the judge and saved them out of the hands of their enemies as long as the judge lived for the Lord relented because of their groaning under those who oppressed and afflicted them. So you see, we've got this most vicious cycle. It starts with this Israel's apostasy. It continues with, and you're going to see this all throughout the book of judges It's going to be boom, 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 boom. Like every chapter, this is what's going to happen. Israel is going to apostatize themselves from God. They're just going to forsake God. Israel is going to just blatantly, overtly sin. The next part of the cycle is God gets angry. And honestly, here's your brief theology lesson. We've talked about this before. If you're a Christian and you're saying to yourself, I am saved, what are you saved from? You're saved from God's just anger or wrath to be aroused and justly executed against your sin. Jesus taking that wrath upon himself on the cross in your place. You see, Israel apostatizes, God gets angry, and not like a 13 or a 16-year-old kid, taken, you take the car keys from him, you're not driving this week, and I don't care that you got a big date, or you got this, nope, you're grounded, you're whatever, oh, I hate you now, well, okay, fine. No, 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 not like that. God's righteous anger. And then three, God shows compassion. I don't understand number three. From God's standpoint, I get it as a parent. From God's standpoint, I just, and maybe that's it, like a parent. Apostasy, anger, Yahweh's compassion. And then they apostatize again. This is most vicious cycle. I kind of put it in theological terms to the right there. The human inclination towards sin, the angry work of God in punishing that sin, the lament of those under the chastening hand of God, and then the human inclination towards sin. If you find yourself sinning, that same stinking sin, like, boy, I thought this was done a decade ago, but here it is again. I just can't seem to give it up. You are living this most vicious cycle. This is you. This is Israel. Daniel texted in, as is currently the case, we can see that complacency has stirred up trouble. The second generation, much like the current generation, forgot where they came from and what had been done to them to get where they currently are and were. Amen. Mick texted in, we are also saved from the power of sin and we still live in the presence until the death till death where Jesus returns. Amen. So I understand that cycle here. Okay, and in that, in that compassion... God's going to raise up a judge. That's why this book is called the judges. Okay. There's no King yet. God is King. Okay. The last judge, he's not in the book of judges, but the last judge is Samuel and Samuel is like the last kind of functional judge. And then Samuel is going to be the last judge and the transition to the time of the King. In fact, he's going to anoint Kings, Saul and David. So, God in his compassion is going to raise up judges. So we're going to see that every character we study in this is God showing his compassion, hearing the groaning of his people, people who you know, have been doing some terrible things. And we want to say, well, yeah, I know you're groaning. I'm not surprised you're groaning. Look, what have you been doing? And now you're going to cry to God. Why would God listen to you? Why would God listen to me? Why would God pay attention to you or in your prayers? It's his compassion. It's his grace that we don't ever deserve, that we cannot earn. And that grace by which we are saved. Wow. Judges speaks today. Deuteronomy 31. Then the Lord appeared at the tent in the pillar of cloud, and the cloud stood over the entrance of the tent. And the Lord said to Moses, you're going to rest with your ancestors. How's that for a conversation starter? You're going to rescue their ancestors and these people will soon prostitute themselves to the foreign gods of the land they are entering. See, God knows what's going on. He knows what's going to go on. They will forsake me and break the covenant I made with them. And in that day, I will become angry with them and forsake them. See, that's right. In case you're re- listening to me read that from the most vicious cycle and go, gosh, God, that was awful mean. You're going to be fighting against them. You're going to like, Really, God? Well, yeah. God is, you want to be God's enemy? You're going to be treated like God's enemy, I guess. So here it is. God's talking about this, you know, a, a, a couple chapters ahead of time here, a couple books ahead of time. I will hide my face from them, and they will be destroyed. Many disasters and calamities will come on them, and in that day they will ask, have not these disasters come on us because our God is not with us? And I will certainly hide my face in that day because of all their wickedness and turning to other gods. Wow, I can't believe that's in the Bible. That God sounds very mean. God's not messing around here. God does not like it when his people give their allegiance to other things and other people and other deities or other objects of worship. That doesn't play with God. That preaches back to me. Does it preach back to you? We've got a, defined, a divine decision, 2.20 to 3.4. You know, I don't think I read verse 9. Here we go. Verse 19. When that judge died, the people returned to their ways. That's a that's big thing. When that judge died, the people returned to their ways even more corrupt than those of their ancestors. Yeah, remember that when, when, uh, when we get to Gideon. Remember that when we get to Samson. These judges are supposed to be doing good things for God, but when the judge dies, the people are worse off. That's how we're going to know, by the way, if the judge has been a good judge or a bad judge. And we're going to learn about the judge rules next week, what the judge is supposed to do and what he's supposed to be about. But God's saying, when the judge is dead, they're worse off. My goodness worshiping, following other gods and serving and worshiping them. They refused to give up, give up their evil practices and stubborn ways. Verse 20, therefore, the Lord was very angry with Israel and said, because this nation has violated the covenant I ordained for, for their ancestors and has not listened to me, I will no longer drive out before them any of the nations Joshua left when he died. I will use them to test Israel and see whether they will keep the way of the Lord and walk in it as their ancestors did. And just remember, God was not marching the corridors of heaven, wondering if Eve and, and Adam were going to eat from that tree. All right. Anytime God's saying testing, it's not, it's not because he, he's scratching his head and going, well, I just don't know what to think. I don't know what they're going to say or do. And I got to find out. I'm just as ignorant as they are. So I got to throw a test their way to find out what they're going to do. Cause I just have no clue. No, that's not God anymore. That's not, that's not anybody you want to worship. That's nobody who's sovereign. That's just the best you can say that my kids just is some testing with their schooling, some kind of, uh, you, know, you take some tests and it kind of shows you where you're at in some kind of line or curve or whatnot. And uh, the teachers don't really know how, how smart the kid is in certain areas. They got to take these standardized tests and they begin to tell certain data points. Okay, then they begin to collect this data and they know what to do and know what to the study and to place, that kind of stuff. That's not God. God doesn't send tests because he is ignorant. These tests reveal to us about us and about our trust in God. They're revelatory on our end. Yeah, Mick. texted God testing us is character development for us. It's like fire purifying gold and silver. Yeah, it's not because God is ignorant. Oh, no, gee, what's Mick gonna do? What's Joel gonna do? I just I I'll throw a test his way and I'll find out if he's gonna pass the test. I hope he does. Good luck, young man. Pass your test. That's just not God anymore. He's just you know like a uh, like just like a manager or something. That's just that's just not God. I mean, I, nobody is divine there. We got to read the three, four, don't we? I will use them to test Israel and see whether they will keep the way of the Lord and walk in it as their ancestors did. The Lord had allowed these nations to remain. He did not drive them out at once by giving them into the hands of Joshua. These are the nations the Lord left to test all those Israelites who had not experienced any of the wars in Canaan. He did this only to teach warfare to the descendants of the Israelites, who had not had previous battle experience. Okay. The five rulers of the Philistines, all the Canaanites, the Sidonians, the Hivites, living in, Lebanon, in the Lebanon mountains from Mount Baal-Herman to Labo Hamat, they were left to test the Israelites to see whether they would obey the Lord's commands, which he had given their ancestors through Moses. So what's it gonna be, Israel? You know what God told Moses. You know what God told Joshua. Your ancestors did this. They made this big proclamation. You see those stinking stones that they stood up and they hear this, hear this, hear this. But you don't seem to care. So now you're going to get your theological lesson about this very God you refuse to know. One enemy at a time. One invasion force at a time. One butt whipping by a foreign power at a time. You're going to learn about this very God and his love for you. You're going to learn about this relationship you can have with God who's going to save you, even you, even as you disobey, even as you cry out to him. God shows his grace because God shows his grace. And you're going to progressively as we study this text get more angry at the Israelites. What in the world's your problem? You're going to get angry at the judges. Oh, you're really not going to like Samson. If you, if, if, if you come into this class liking Samson, that will change. You will never like Samson again. Gideon, you're just going to be going, oh, geez, not Gideon. Are you kidding me? Yeah, Jephthah, Barak, you know, some of these guys, like, oh, my goodness. Yeah, you'll never let anybody use Gideon as a good example. Oh, let's just have a faith of Gideon. Let's test God. No, you'll never do that. See, God was going to test Israel's faithfulness but not only to punish, but to instruct. See, God, there, there is a method here, What God was going for here. Let's get to the final descriptions of Israel. Three, five to six. And these things say three things here. The Israelites lived among the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. They took their daughters in marriage and gave their own daughters to their sons and served their gods. So an original audience, I mean, think about a text like this in the hands of an Ezra, you know, hundreds and hundreds of years later, or the hands of a Nehemiah, especially when they're confessing, oh, God, we gave our our sons and daughters in marriage to these people. Oh, God, we weren't faithful to you. We even let them marry each other. You see, they lived among the Canaanites. They lived among them. They lived like them. They lived in a manner that their Canaanite neighbors aren't going to throw a fuss about. Yeah, they lived among them. They took their daughters. They took their daughters and gave their sons. I mean, there's compromise, and then there's compromise. They essentially didn't live like the promised land was any different than any other land. They lived in a manner like, well, we're here. Let's just live like everybody else. Let's just go along to get along. Let's not rock the boat. Let's just do what we gotta do to be nice to everybody and just do what we gotta do. Mm. And they served their gods. That last one has to really hurt. They served their gods. I mean, that's like Mo, Larry and Curly, the poking in the eye right there to God, right there, God. I'm not only gonna not know you, I'm not gonna remember you. I'm not even gonna serve you. Who are you, God? Who do you think you are? You're nobody, you were you like my mom and dad, you're like my pops, his God. You were like that Moses? Oh, yeah, yeah. We all know about Moses. You know, whatever. You're his guy. Joshua, he's dead. Joshua's lieutenants, all these guys, dead. We're the ones who are now. We're the ones who matter. We're the Israel that is current. We're the ones who who are going to make our decisions. God, I guess you're going to have to go along with us. Because we don't want to know you. We're just going to tolerate everything we want to tolerate because we're the ones to control. Mick texted in. Excuse me, Daniel texted in. Tolerance is one of the most dangerous things for society. Amen. It is one of the chief gods of this age or any age. What do you tolerate? Judges 2.10 matches up with Philippians 3.10. What's Judges 2.10? Go back in your text. After that whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors, another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done. What does Paul say in Philippians 3.10? To know Christ. It's like the knowledge of God, specifically of Christ Jesus, is number one. He's giving everything up. It's all rubbish. It's all street garbage. Except to know Christ. They didn't care about knowing God. That can't be you. In fact, you might even be able to argue. When Paul was writing down Philippians three ten, it sounds an awful lot like Judges two ten. Let's not be like them. They didn't know God. They chose not to know God. And even if they were completely ignorant, that the first generation didn't do their job and give them any knowledge of God or whatever, even if they were you're saying, well, they just didn't know. By the time the second judge comes around, when this cycle has happened, where you've angered God and he's shown compassion or raised up a judge and delivered you, and you've slipped back into your sin again. That's when you're learning. That's when you're no longer ignorant. You cry out to God and God shows up and delivers you. He's not an ignorant God. There's no ignorance here anymore. You now have data to collect. You now have responses to make. Well, what's the comfort of association? Well, that's easy. I remember a couple years of my life where I was able to... uh, I bought myself a gym membership. I found some cheap little gym plan, you know, a couple bucks a month, whatever. And they gave me a card. And I had that card in my wallet. I didn't go to that gym much. I just didn't. Lazy, busy, whatever. But I knew that I had that card in my wallet. I could go if I wanted to. I could go right in there. Hello, Mr. Bradshaw, here's my card. Well, go find yourself a treadmill, whatever you gotta do, you're good. It was very comforting to know that I had that card in my wallet. This year, with, with the COVID-19, I'd give anything to go back to the gym, like it was. I started off this year just going crazy. Then all of a sudden the gym shuts down, and kind of robs me of all my momentum or whatnot, and I haven't really gone back yet. i kind of like to, I probably should, but I'm not there yet. And there's some other reasons, but still, there's that comfort of association. You know, in this case, it's, you know, we're Israel. We're God's people. We know the stories. We may have a Passover from here or there. We get it. We know the stories. We, you know, Egypt wasn't too long ago. God's got us. He's our God. I mean, even culturally speaking, God's not going to let us fall. He's not going to let us fail. We have this loose association with God and there's comfort there. How did that gym membership do me? Not very well. How is that kind of faith? When you just look at God like, you know, God, you and I go back. We go back a ways, don't we? You and my mom was close. You and my dad was close. You know, my grandma... You know, we, we have a family connection, God. God cares about you. You see, there's a comfort of association and then there's a clarity of allegiance. It's clear as day where their allegiance is. It's to themselves. It's to doing whatever they want, serving whatever God they want, living however they want, and they've still got their theological gym card in their pocket. That doesn't work. That does not. That's not how God works. It's like you have allegiance. So where is your allegiance? See, you're reading this text with me tonight, the question you got to ask. Once you get past the parenting question at the very beginning, the follow-up question is, am I like these people? Am I living that way? Is their story, their bad cycle, my story and my bad cycle? Is that me? Is that me? As we go through Judges, you're going to see Israel fall into this cycle again and again and again and again. Never seeming to learn. It's going to, They're going to continue to go through all the, 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 the kings later on. And every single king, save for like five, are going to be leading the people astray. Having more idols, even you know, one like a Solomon, how many idols did he have with all of his wives and concubines and whatnot? My goodness. Well, he's just gonna be doing what Gideon's gonna do. There's a clarity to your allegiance. It should be clear. Association is wimpy faith. It's like, oh, whatever faith. Association doesn't take any guts. Association doesn't really say, eh, it's, just, it's comforting. It's okay, God's there. You know. He's my guy. You know, yeah, whatever. I believe in God. People who call America a Christian nation. A lot of that is association. Well, of course we're a Christian nation. What else are we going to be? I don't hear allegiance in that. That's ancient Israel right there. Well, of course we follow God. We're no longer in Egypt, are we? Who else are we going to follow? Book of Judges hits home. It kicks my rear end. Does it kick yours? Mick texted in Judges essentially delivers, and delivers saviors. Israel's problem is they want a saving God, but not the Lord God. Yeah, Israel is going to want deliverance again and again and again. And again, they're going to want their salvation, but they're not going to really want God. Know God. Know Him. But how does it Paul put it in, in, in Philippians 3.10 to know His resurrection? Know the power of His suffering? It's like to know God, to actually want to know Him. The seminary trap is knowing about God and forgetting to actually know God. This is good stuff. Next week, we're going to get going. We're going to start this process. We've had a big double introduction. God has set his terms. You're going to see the rest of judges unfold, judge by judge, according to this cycle. Okay? Israel's apostasy, Yahweh's anger, Yahweh's compassion, and then Israel's apostasy again. He's going to raise up a judge. He's going to see he's, he's, they're going to sin. He's going to uh, get angry and send Punishment like the Philistines or the Amorites are going to come in. And they're going to smack Israel down. The Israelites are going to cry. They're going to complain and groan. And God's going to show compassion or raise up a judge. And that judge is going to kick butt. And all of a sudden, Israel is going to be delivered. And then all seems like it's good. But then Israel sins again and starts it all over again. This cycle after cycle after cycle after cycle. That's the book of Judges. And we get that cycle tonight. And we will see what happens in the coming weeks. Thanks for joining me tonight. God bless.